Hey guys. Hey guys. It's Danielle. Welcome back. And Anna. I said your name for you. <laughs> oh, that's so okay. It's fine. They know who you are by now. Uh, today we are going to discuss the Tulsa Girl Scout murders that happened in 1977. Um, this was suggested by a listener and a friend, and so we wanted to do this one because I personally had never heard of the story. Have you heard of it? No, nah, I never. And I live in Oklahoma, so that's very strange to me, but um, yeah, I guess news gets and past we're me. both Girl Scouts, so... We were both Girl Scouts, <laughs> this is so true. And I've been to Girl Scout camp. I have too. So, this is insane, but... um. So anyways, let's just get right into it. And actually, this isn't going to be the full story today. This is going to be the describing the campgrounds, basically, and the situation, how they're situated, where they're at. Like the um, setup, per se. Exactly. Like. And then we'll discuss, like, what happened the first night of camp and, and the next morning. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, in June of 1977... Three young girls went to Girl Scout camp for some summer fun. Sadly, those three girls would never return home to their families. Um, the camp where these girls would be staying was in a very dark, dense, wooded part of Camp Scott in Oklahoma. First, let's talk about Camp Scott. Camp Scott. Camp Scott. You want to read? Or you want me to read? All right. Let's go. Camp Scott opened in <laughs> 1928. The camp was a place for young Girl Scouts to spend a couple of summer weeks in the beautiful Ozark Hills of Oklahoma. Magic Empire Girl Scout Council began running the campsite in 1977. The camp had grown to include 10 campsites, a great hall, a swimming pool, and it situated as it was situated. It was situated, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Within 410 acres to the left bank of Snake Creek. Snake Creek. Snake Creek. It's got like a chase snakes. Especially water moths. Oh, you know, water moths. <laughs> they smell it too. <laughs> Yucky. <laughs> but the campers were placed near the main access road, which was given the name the Cookie Trail. Cookie Trail. I wonder if that's where a Girl Scout cookie comes from. I don't Maybe. Know. But each campsite was given Native American tribe names and consisted of a canvas tent atop with a wooden platform and set. Around a stone enriched campfire. The girls circled were, campfire. Encircled <laughs> enriched. Stone enriched campfire. <laughs> like hey, that enriched. too. Whatever. I like it's enriched. enriched. It's fine. It's enriched. It's enriched. Whatever. S'mores and hot dogs. And yeah. <laughs> that is enriched. That's what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the girls were supposed to be overseen by camp counselors who would have had their own tent. I guess back then they stuck. The adults and one and kids in their yeah. own. That seems a little risky to me on its own because I'm like, yeah, I don't trust your kids. Yeah. Well, maniacs. I wouldn't either. <laughs> Apparently you can't trust the people that are outside of the tent other than the kids as well. Yeah. Or even near. Yeah. And I guess the tents were only big enough for four kids per tent, though. So that seems reasonable. Say, That's a pretty big tent, though. I mean. Reasonably large. Yeah, really. Just well. On a platform. I mean. The campsites look like they're pretty large, too, but... It looked like it was really a nice campsite, though. They have closed it due to this, though. <sighs> that sucks. And but, I mean, I can... I understand. Yeah, you I don't want to be... send your kid camping where... Oh, no, are you kidding? <laughs> no, no. Not only just no, but no. no. 
Um, yeah. Because of the land in this area, the tents were not evenly spaced out, though, and the campsites were placed, the campsites were not equally placed along the cookie trail either. Um, they had to kind of like zigzag a little bit because of the terrain. The three girls were that were murdered were staying in tent eight on the Kiowa camp, which happened to be set furthest west and more isolated from the trail than all the other campsites. And tent eight was also a bit further even than the others in that particular camp as well. So yeah. not only was the campsite kind of like furthest, but their tent off was also was like to the, the side. freaking furthest away from their campsite. Like that's just I don't know. Something doesn't seem right about that. That's where the camp the counselors should have been, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, Especially when you look at the map. But and they another were like part, more off to the side and everybody else is over here. Exactly. And the fact it says too that um the view of tent eight was obscured to the counselors by the shower block. Right. So, so they couldn't the even see even the kids' see tent that well from yeah, where they were. Yeah, you have to get up and go around. Or... That just doesn't seem right to me. Um, the Ozarks are a beautiful place to go camping for adults. Um, <laughs> yeah. For small children, though, the dense, the dense wooded land can be very scary, and campers have often described feelings of uneasiness or like they're being watched. Ooh. Because of the forest, the denseness of the forest yeah, there. So all the animals in the forest. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> the tigers. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my. <laughs> um, so the first and the last night of camp. That just is... sounds foreboding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> because unfortunately, this only the first lasted night was a day. The last night, yeah. yeah. It, they thought they were going to stay a few weeks, but it turned into a day. Short trip. So then on June 12th, 1977, the buses of the Girl Scouts began to arrive at Camp Scott. From what we know, there were 27 girls in the Kiowa camp and three adult counselors to those 27 girls. The first night at the camp was a thunderstorm, so not a very fun first night. So the girls not spent the well. evening... Writing letters to their families. Oh, that's so sweet. That is sweet. And counselors, I guess, usually dread the first night because you got to get the girls, you know, settled down into their areas with their, you know, in the right spot, know where everybody is. They're all and hyped up, probably. Kind of like all... the first day of school for us teachers. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> everybody's giggly and chatty yes. and not, you know, everybody's just excited because it's always fun to do something new. I can tell you firsthand, the first week at least of school, when school starts back, all of the adults go home and I literally come home and walk through the door and go straight to bed. <laughs> I think I pass out like the second <laughs> my face hits the pillow. So it's probably something exhausting. like that. Yeah, because they don't know the routine yet. They don't know what to expect, you know. So these girls are right. probably the same way. They're like... Just having a great time, probably not listening to the adults very well, just checking know, everything out. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Exactly. So I can imagine that would be pretty crazy. There were some strange occurrences during the night. Um, there is information suggesting that someone was stalking the campsites that first evening, which is just freaking terrifying. Very terrifying. Um, it was impossible, really, for the police to create an exact timeline, but testimony from the various parties paints a pretty good picture, they said. Um, this is the timeline that police put together by the witness statements. This right. is the timeline of the night of June 12th and into June 13th. At some time before 10 p.m. on June 12th, the counselor of the Comanche camp sees a light in the forest moving north towards the Kiowa camp. 
It is creepy. Um, that alone would have, I would have been like, yo, I probably would have told somebody like, hey, is what is that exactly? I know that's not a firefly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Big ass firefly. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it's time to go home, kids. <laughs> and at 10 p.m., D. Ed- Elder, D. Edler, D. Elder makes a tent check of the Kiowa and is satisfied that everything is okay. So apparently, I guess they checked Sorry. all the tents in their camp. Which would make sense, especially before everybody goes to bed. You Absolutely. gotta go do a head count. Yeah, exactly. Around midnight, yeah. Carlo Wilhite has to head over to the... The what? The latrines? What is a latrine? Latrine? It's a bathroom. Oh! How did I not know that? It's military talk. Special. I'm gonna hit the latrine. You're the military baby <laughs> over here. Yay! You know, hit the head, hit the latrine. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you learned something. <laughs> the latrine to escort some noisy girls back to their tents. I'm not, that sounds like a teacher's yep. job. Yep, in the bathroom. Yeah, Absolutely. Be like, girls, get out of the latrine. Let's go. Get back to class. Get out of the bathroom. Use it and come on. <laughs> By 1.30 a.m., girls in tent six are still making noise. Imagine that. And the understandably frustrated Carla shines her torch in the direction and shouts at them to stop. Shut up. Go to bed. Go to sleep, children. <laughs> it's at that time that she hears a strange sound coming from behind the tents and... In the documentary, Someone Cry for the Children, one can sense that she struggles to find the words to accurately describe it. She said it was a low, guttural sound, which somewhat sounded like a frog or a bullhorn. That's frightening. Yeah, but out in the woods, you hear sounds all the time yeah, that I mean, are normal sounds, true. but if you're not used to them, they're like, sound what is that? This is why terrifying. I don't like to camp very often. Well, that's, I'll camp at the lake. That is the bad thing about camping. That's about it. If you're near a panther, they, they, the way they like make noises, they do sound like a woman being killed. Oh, like it's a lot of what? Rock, very high pitch. Like, but it's a when, cat. <laughs> she said that when she shines her torch in the direction of the noise, that it stopped. Right, which is creepy, and why she didn't investigate more. Exactly, and then she headed back to her tent and went to sleep, and the noise was heard intermittently after that. Right, like, so why wouldn't you get back up or ask someone else, like, hey, yes. did you? Right, because I'm personally, I would be like, okay, these kids are out of their tents, they're playing around out in this woods, and mm-hmm. it's not safe. I would probably be like, yo, but I'm also, I also like to run a tight ship, so, you know, there's that. Um I don't know. Around 3 a.m., there were two reports of girls on other camps being woke up by noises. One report was of a single scream that may have been a little earlier around 1 a.m., and the other is of a girl crying out for her mother. Oh, my God. That's heartbreaking. That breaks my heart. Like, just the thought of that hurts my heart in so many ways. Especially since no one went to try to figure out, like... There was so many, like, the bystander effect was in full effect. I mean. Yeah, like, even if it's just a kid crying because they had a nightmare or something, you'd think you'd go check on that. You know, let them know it's okay or. Exactly. Like I said, the bystander effect was in full motion here. (laughs) Um, Around the same time, someone is moving through the Kiowa camp, reaching into tents and stealing items, notably purses and several pairs of prescription glasses. The last Mm. story was from a surviving witness. The last story from our surviving witness was from the girls in tent number seven, who said that their tent flap was pulled back and a man shone a light into their tent. And after a few seconds, the flap was replaced and he moved on to tent eight. Which is very creepy. I would have... If, well, then again, I mean, the girls probably wouldn't want to get up and go out either. Well, and they probably thought maybe he was just 
Maybe, maybe he works there or something. Who knows? Yeah, you know that's what I mean? true. You could just be making sure everybody's in bed. You're not going to be able to see in the dark, even with the light outside. So you're going to have to. Those like... girls are so lucky. Yeah. I they... mean, they escaped with their lives that night. That is just Seriously, yeah, because... terrifying to think of. As, I mean, as a parent, I just can't. <laughs> I literally just can't. That's not, I, I don't know. Bless the parents' hearts like that. I, I, I can't. Yeah. That's not a, a conversation not. you would ever have to have. No. But on the morning of June 6th, about 6 a.m. June 13th? Or, yeah. What? <laughs> you read it. You were just going along. I, my brain almost saw it the same way. Oh, <laughs> I think it's gosh. the way I typed it. Bye, bye. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> the morning of, the morning of June 13th at 6 a.m. <laughs> so we went back in time here. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Flashback. Yay. Uh, Carla. Wilhite. Wilhite. I think that's how you pronounce it. What we're hoping. We're sorry, Carla. Yeah, we're hoping we're saying this correctly. She was one of the counselors. Her alarm goes off at 6 a.m. so that she could shower before the other kids woke up and, you know, obviously do her counselor duties, you know. Right, before the children woke up. Right. After exiting her tent, Carla would have headed, she would have had a headed east towards the Quapaw camp. And towards the staff house so that she could shower. As she did so, something caught her eye at the fork of the trail. Initially, she thought it might have been someone's forgotten, like, you know, the kids' luggage or sleeping bags or something that just got left and no one grabbed it. They probably totally forgot because they're too busy talking. Having a good old time. So she walked over to investigate it. And as she walked closer, she could suddenly make out the body of a little girl laying face up. That is just so sad. And naked from the waist down, which makes it ten times worse. Absolutely. And what happens next varies from person to person, which is perfectly understandable given the situation and so many little kids involved. Yeah, and like just the... I mean... Well, the, the there's like a lot of noises being heard, but nobody really reported seeing the man except for the one tent that... He opened up their flat right. or whatever, and they saw the man peek in. And obviously, they didn't run and go tell someone else because it's the first night, so they're they not going to really, really know. They don't really know what the routine is. Exactly. Exactly. They're not going to know the routine. They're not going to really know all the workers because you don't know. There could be workers yeah, there yeah, before absolutely. you showed up. You don't really ask questions when you're a kid. You're like, okay, this is normal. This is what I'm supposed to, this is what it's supposed to be. Right. Like. And if you see him walking around, you're going to assume, okay, right. he must supposed to be here. Exactly. So, the staff... Immediately took action. Um, Carla immediately woke up Dee and Susan, who were the other two counselors that were with her in the Kiowa um, campsite. And she asked them to come help her check on the other children. Dee started by checking tent eight, where it was clear all three of the children were missing. Carla first checked to see if the other children were safe and then ran to the nurse to get medical aid for the one known casualty. The nurse headed up to the Kiowa camp, and Carla went to the director's house to inform um, the camp director, Barbara Day, what was happening. The nurse pronounces Denise Milner Milner dead on arrival. She's the little girl that was first found. Yeah. She had head injuries. Injuries? Injuries? <laughs> she had head injuries, and her hands were tied behind her back. Shortly after, the nurse was joined by Richard Day, which is a husband of Barbara. Camp director, right? Yes, okay. is the camp director. So it makes sense why if the girls saw a boy, you know, yeah, they're, they're not going to think anything weird. Right. But who discovered the other two bodies in sleeping bags? Hmm. Yeah, I couldn't imagine, especially no. finding them. God. Later, the 
these would be confirmed as being Laura Farmer. Lori Farmer? Lori Farmer, yeah. Lori Farmer. Lori Farmer and Michelle Goose. Goose? I think. I hope that's please, right. Please forgive us if it's not. Mr. Day also covered Denise's half-naked body with a sleeping bag. Barbara Day quickly contacted the highway patrol for obvious reasons. Yeah. In the midst of the tragedy, the other staff members had to carry on with normal activities like nothing was going on so that the other girls would not be freaked out. That would have been so hard. That would have been so hard. Exactly. Yeah. Very hard. Gosh. I couldn't do it. I would be like, I'd be a hot mess. He'd be like, okay, let's just take Danielle out to pasture. (laughs) Yeah. She's just making it more difficult than it needs to be. Um, (laughs) Later that day, the other girls um, on the camp, in camp, had been, they were driven back to Tulsa to their parents. And their parents had to wait at the bus station, knowing that there was an accident, but they weren't. They didn't know which children had been involved in the accident or what the accident consisted of. So right. that in itself would have been just Yeah, because they're freaking. just called and say, hey, never mind, camp's Come get canceled. Your kids. Yeah. We're going to be there, you know, Instead whatever two time. weeks, you're going to be coming to get them now. Today, and, yeah. <laughs> well, and also, the camp volunteers weren't at liberty to determine how the girls had died. So they had to just tell the parents of the victims that their children had died in an accident without any other details. They couldn't tell them why or how or any of anything else. Right, well, and... I mean, logically for them, they're not going to really be able to tell how the girls died. Exactly. I mean, they they have to found wait for them. a corner or whatever. They yeah. weren't, nothing was severely obvious of how they died. It was, you it know. It was, yeah. Well, there was obviously some foul play going on. Right. They couldn't, at that time, determine. Yeah. They weren't the professionals, basically. It's not like a tree fell on them and they're like, well. <laughs> exactly. So, tragically, the parents had to find out the cause of death. Uh, of their children through the media, which that would have been really hard. That's horrible. Like, I can't believe they didn't let them know before anything was I know. I figured that they would have as well. I mean. Uh, And that pretty much wraps up that first night with the Girl Scouts. Um, We're going to get back into this for a part two and talk about the investigation and all of that. So I hope you guys stay tuned and we'll see you all for part two. Later. Can't wait.